folks. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Amers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. In today's episode, I have a conversation with a very special lady for you. Her name is Shannon Kennedy, and Shannon writes the travel, language, and life blog Eurolinguist or Eurolinguist. She's a musician, she knows seven languages. She likes to cook and she likes to travel. So don't even, you can't even wait for this interview because it's going to be so exciting. Just a little thing I want to tell you about before we jump into the interview. And that is the fact that we currently want to get to know you. Lindsay and I have decided to bring out a new podcast survey. That means we want you to go on the internet, type in fluentlanguage.co.uk slash survey go to our podcast survey and answer a few questions telling us how you discovered the podcast what your podcast listening habits are which podcasts you enjoy and this is all so that we can get together and make some plans to provide even greater podcasts for you we're already doing the best that we can but we need to hear from you so that we know you're enjoying what we're providing and what we're putting out there as the creative language learning podcast so it's fluentlanguage.co.uk slash survey Join us on there all throughout October. There's going to be the podcast survey open to you. And if you leave us your email address, I'm going to give away a very special language learning consultation worth $99. And where we can get together and really make sure that your language learning habits and skills are as good as they can be. And I'll help you focus and coach you through what you need to do next. And that is my little first message and we're going to move straight on to the podcast with Shannon Kennedy from Eurolinguist. Enjoy. Okay, so here we are. It's episode 25. Shannon, I've just looked up the number. It's episode 25, <laughs> uh, which is a quarter of a not a century, but a quarter of a pretty big number. It's actually a pretty special number uh, for a pretty special lady. I've got Shannon Kennedy with me. She's so impressive. I can't even, um, even in the pre-talk, she's just completely blown me away. Um, just as we were having a little chat, she's like, oh yeah, you know all this stuff that I do. I also work full time. And I'm like, what? So today, prepare to be absolutely awed by this this incredible lady called Shannon. Uh, Shannon Kennedy, she writes a little blog you may or may not have heard of. It's called Eurolinguist, or Eurolinguist, however you wish to pronounce it. And it is at Eurolinguist, that's L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-E dot com. So Shannon, hello and welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's no problem at all. So first of all, tell me a little bit about the blog that you write. What's it like? And what's it, you write about language learning, that much we can guess, but what's your flavor? I do. Um, I write about language learning. I also write about travel, and I like to do posts where the two kind of tie into one another. 
um, because I'm a musician and because I have family in Europe, even though I'm based in America, I have the opportunity to travel quite a bit every year. So it gives me plenty to talk about on the blog. And so that's kind of the focus there. I also do recipes from the different regions that I'm studying. So because I speak French and Chinese and German a little bit and Italian, I try and do recipes from those countries. And so that's, you know, it's very diverse, but that's what I do on the blog. Yeah. And do you, I think it's really, really interesting that you, it, is, it does make your blog stand out that you combine so much of the things that you can do with a language. Because I think it's very easy to just always write about language learning, straight out learning. And I love the idea of cookery in there because that's something people can do at home. And it still brings the foreign language into your home, so to speak. So which languages or countries do you focus on? Um, well, actually, before I get into that, you just brought up a really good point. And for me, in my experience and my educational background, language is more than it's about more than just the language itself. There, you know, the language doesn't stand on its own. It belongs to something. It belongs to a culture. It belongs to people. And there's like other elements of that. Um, and for me, I really what really interests me about language is you know, the cultural aspect of it. So to tie in travel to that area, the history of that area, the cuisine of that area, you know, that's what kind of interests me. And so to me, that's why they all kind of belong together. Mm -hmm. Whereas you have the other blogs that are more focused specifically on language learning. Um, that's why mine's a little bit more diverse. But uh, to answer your question, <laughs> uh, I speak English and French. I speak French at home as well as English. I live in America, so I get to speak English quite a bit. Um, I studied Italian and German in college. I haven't done a great job of keeping them up, but I used to speak them much better. I'm currently studying Russian, Croatian, and Mandarin Chinese. You are studying three languages at once? Um, I'm really focused on Mandarin, um, <laughs> and Russian and Croatian are just kind of when I can fit them in. I would say right now I study Russian somewhat regularly and Croatian just when I stumble across a resource that really interests me. I was studying it more aggressively before I started Chinese. Um, but yeah, I guess in a way I'm studying three at the same time, just one I'm focused on. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, as somebody who I think when... When the language bug is sort of with you and if you've got that sort of basis of already having the confident, competent level in more than one foreign language or in, in you know, you, you mentioned Italian and German as your college languages. So overall, you've gone through your bilingual brought up, you've gone through two foreign languages. So by now you've kind of, you know, you, you have probably developed a different attitude to, to, to studying languages. Um, and if I look at it from my own experience, I find that I am more easily drawn to a language because it interests me and for, for kind of different reasons. Whereas maybe when I was uh, 17, 18 and thinking about how I'm going to build them into my career in the future, I was choosing languages for a different reason. It was more about uh, what's available around me, but also how am I going to work with it later on. So do you also find your motivations uh, shift? My motivations definitely shift. I mean, the reason that I studied um, Italian and German were because I'm a music major. And um, when you get 
to a high level in university, you're required to be able to have a fluent reading ability in French, Spanish, Italian, and German. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to, but I also loved learning languages, so I didn't mind. I've also never really been one that's been good at focusing <laughs> on a single language because I, if I could, I would learn as many as possible. I know it's not possible to speak a ton at a high level, so I really have to work hard to keep myself focused. Um, and it's something that I've been struggling with actually the last year while I've pretty much only been studying Chinese and it, I see all these other languages and all these really interesting resources pop up and I'm like, oh, don't do it, Shannon. But <laughs> um, so I've, I, I like studying language a lot and it, you know, to keep me engaged and interested. If I just focused on one language all the time, I kind of maybe get a little bit bored. So I like taking a break and going and studying another one for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But um, my motivations do change. I've studied languages because I had to for school. I've studied languages because my friends spoke them and I thought it would be cool to be able to speak with them as well. I've studied languages because I thought it would be practical. I've studied languages because I just really wanted to learn a specific language. So the reason that I pick up different languages does change as time goes on and it's kind of based on where I'm at at that point. Mm. And at mentioning mentioning friends among that the um something i've experienced as i started and i'm very early in the in the early stages and i'm going to say this for two years so you know it, it goes on for a while but as i started learning welsh i found that the there's all these welsh speakers coming out of the woodworks sort of on my facebook people where i didn't know that they had capabilities in welsh um and they're just kind of coming out and helping me and and you know every time i say every time i try and say something or i post an instagram language challenge prompt or something uh people really come out and help uh from all sorts of corners and that sense of community is something i've never really had in a language so you mentioning that your friends speak a language is how great is it to be welcomed by a community when you're learning their language? That's For me, that was a new experience. Yeah, I think it's really great. And I think it's really important to have that support system. So I think it's really encouraging when you have that. And I think it's really great that you have it for Welsh, especially since it's a language that's... I'm assuming there's not a ton of resources available for it. Uh, not the mainstreamy ones, but... Because it's part of the, for example, because it's part of the curriculum in Wales, you can sort of get stuff from the BBC because it's it's part of the BBC's mission um, to support the UK-based minority languages. The BBC actually has a lot of good resources for Welsh. Um, and there's sort of more indie stuff, but you can't just go and like expect to buy a teach yourself Welsh although they mm. do exist and I have seen them and I recently found one in a charity shop from 1960 I think um and opened it up and it was incredibly old <laughs> you know like as in I couldn't recognize that Welsh and I had to ask sort of and go has there been like a big update of this language what the why you know it's completely different um and somebody explained to me again you know this this community this support system somebody explained it to me and said oh no they used to teach written Welsh and now they teach you spoken Welsh because that's much more 
it's much more in line with what you know what you're going to use quite quickly um and it's much more widely used now the, the the language that was always spoken but there used to be this huge difference um and it used to be that the written welsh was very different so you and literally like welsh really really for no reason suddenly a word will have five different letters they call them mutations and it is literally mutations so a word that started with an m if something happens to the word before it suddenly it's starting with an f like wow. why why but you know that's that's the joy <laughs> of language learning <laughs> but you know again the, the support network kind of came in and and helped me out and then you know my friend said oh no and I've got the version of that book from 1980 something and that was already a little bit different it was called living welsh then look here and you might find something here and it's it's not so much a mainstream language so that you could just go and find like a duolingo in it although they say there is a duolingo although I don't think duolingo is that great anyway but never mind um but it is important enough i guess to especially to an english speaking uh community it's it's possible mm. enough to find things in it and once you know once you find a resource i don't tend to uh accumulate resources i tend to find two or three and then try and go with those as much as i can because i don't like the I don't like the idea of just hoarding a lot of resources and then not using them, <laughs> yeah. which if I was learning a different language, that might happen. I, I, I like to, I, I try to discipline myself as much as possible and work through one book. Um, and it's something that I've noticed on your, you've just written a blog post about working with resources. And I think that's a similar, you, you've got a similar approach there. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I sometimes do collect resources, but um, I like to work through the ones that I have. So actually, when I started um, really getting into independent language learning right after university, I didn't realize that there was an online community. And, uh, you know, in the music industry, you're kind of on your own. There's not the same support system as there as I've seen, you know, with the Digital Language Collective and stuff like that. You kind of have to figure things out yourself. And so I took that same approach. And so I'd like go to the local bookstore and I had no idea what to buy, what would be useful, what would help me. And it turns out here in the U.S., the resources that I actually really like aren't even available in the bookstores. So I was buying all the wrong things and I kept buying things because it wasn't really working for me. So then I figured, you know what, there's got to be a better way than this. So I realized that if you're willing to do a little bit of extra work, even if the resource isn't the greatest resource for you, there is a way to make it work for you. Yes. You know, and we shouldn't rely on the resources to teach us the languages. We should use it as a tool to teach ourselves. So we need to be more responsible as language learners and make it more our personal responsibility to fully utilize what is available to us. And because there's such a great community out there of language learners to, you know, take the time to find somewhere to ask questions and connect with people who are at the same place as you. It's very easy to expect a lot from an app or a computer program um, and to kind of abdicate responsibility. So I'm, I'm so underlining what you're saying. I am, I think that's, I think that's huge. I think that's huge. We need to be more responsible as language learners um, and sadly, maybe it's boring, but you've got to buckle down and do the work. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of, you know, annoys me <laughs> is a lot of the language marketing 
is geared to make it look like language learning is easy, that you don't have to put a lot of work in. It's like, yay, study in 15 minutes a day or, you know, five minutes of flashcards and you'll speak French fluently. And it's not that at all. And, you know, it's just the way the marketing's set up, it makes you believe that. So when you go out and you buy this resource that promises you that if you spend 15 minutes a day for two weeks that you're going to speak Spanish fluently or whatever it might be, um, you're, you come away really disappointed that you can't even say two sentences in the language that you're studying because the marketing's made you believe that you don't have to do any work, that if you just put 15 minutes in, that it's going to be magic like that and you're going to be able to do it and that's just not it. I mean, learning a language really well takes years. Mm, mm, but can you imagine, oh God, if we were creating our, our perfect resource... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, as as somebody who does create, especially as somebody who does create language courses, um, I try to take a very responsible approach with that and say to people, okay, so this is going to make you fluent because you're going to read it and then you're going to do stuff. And then, you know, <laughs> it's not, you know, but as a teacher, you, you really, you really feel in that, in that similar way. Like it's not about... Also, if it if it took 15 minutes a day and then you were fluent in two weeks, we'd all do it, right? So so then you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't, I guess, feel the reward in the sense of hard work paying off. I think that part of learning a language, part of the appeal is the challenge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's like doing music or doing language, a big part of it is at the end, well, there's really no end, but you, you know what I mean? There's certain milestones that you hit and you look back and you're like, yes, I did that. But what do you make then you of um, things like the Add One Challenge or the Italki Language Challenge and things like that, sort of these um, uh, real hardcore, I'm going to buckle down and power it through the next three weeks kind of kind of approaches? I think that they can be a really great tool for people who need that extra push. And, um, you know, if you have the drive and the desire to cram a whole bunch of study into a short time, I think that's really great for you. But I think that when that challenge is done, you're still not done. I think there's still more work to do on the back end of it mm -hmm. to maintain your language, to keep it up and to continue moving towards the next level. Um, but I mean, if your goal is just to get conversational, just, it, it all depends on what your goal with the language is. I mean, if you want to speak a language to a high level, if you want to just be able to read in the language because you really like the literature of that belongs to that language, mm -hmm. if it, it, it all kind of depends, but I mean, even those things are just a tool and, uh, I teach music and I always tell my students, I'm like, look, if you come into your lessons every week and all you do is you spend the lesson time working on what you should have been practicing on your own, you're not going to progress as quickly as if you come into the lesson, I give you something to work on, I teach you how to do it, and then you spend the next week doing it yourself. Each lesson, we're going to progress much, much more quickly than if 
every lesson is just me reviewing what we've done in the previous lessons. I'm, I'm, I'm only a tool for you, but you still have to go and do the work on your own. I can help guide you, mm-hmm. but I am not going to make you a better musician. Only you are going to make yourself a better musician. Yes, entirely echo that and uh, copy that as a language teacher. Um, and also if you know, if somebody's listening and you are a language teacher or you are working with a language teacher, um, if you are my student, hello. Uh, the, um, the other thing that I find is that students don't get as much out of a lesson with me if they go away and they do something during the week, but what they do is something completely different. So instead of, you know, kind of refocusing on something that we chatted about or going back through their notes or uh, god forbid perhaps doing some homework or something like that Uh, if instead they do um they might go through michelle thomas german and that's good that kind of you know it it keeps them engaged and kind of keeps the language around them or if they just listen to the radio or read the news headlines every day but it doesn't it, it kind of leaves me a little bit feeling like where 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 am i going with this so I don't know, but then as a learner, and um, perhaps this is an interesting thought, um, when I think about how I'm learning Welsh, I don't really have that kind of goal of, I want to be fluent and conversational, because I'm so much doing it because I really like it, and it's really fun right now. So perhaps there's something to be said as well for the goalless learning. Yeah, I I agree, and um, also on what you said a little bit earlier, I think the students, if they're going to study with a teacher and they're going to ask someone for direction, and if you're going to give them homework and stuff like that, that they should do that because you as a teacher kind of have an idea of what they need to do to get to the next level, but that shouldn't stop them from going and doing, you know, their Michelle Thomas or whatever they want to do on the side. But if they want to do something else, they need to do both. You know what I mean? Yeah, or or perhaps... Tell your teacher what that something else is, and then, but then it's not as shiny and interesting if your teacher does, starts doing it too. So I think that's part of the, you know, it's the variety keeps your neurons um, excited, etc. Yeah. With okay, before I go into kind of asking you more questions about how you got to start Eurolinguist and and how you became this sort of Eurolinguist and how you became a traveling professional multilingual musician person which I just I'm just <laughs> she's talking to me gosh um uh one question I really wanted to ask you, <laughs> <laughs> you is um because you live in the USA because you live in California but the languages you're studying are Russian Croatian Chinese well uh, maybe Italian and German sort of on the side of on the side of what but you know um do you ever feel isolated? Do you feel too isolated to practice or anything like that? Or do you feel that... Is is that a need that you feel? Uh, is is what a need? Is the community a need or is language learning a need? Yeah, community. And um, where do you get it from? I'm going to be totally honest with you right now. I am an extreme introvert, which means that I recharge with time by myself. (laughs) So language learning is really great for me because it's something that I can do mostly by myself. Um, But then when I want to improve my speaking ability, I need to actually go out and connect with people. And 
even though I love doing it, it can be a little bit draining for me. So I don't really necessarily feel the need for the community. Um, it's really great when I go and do it. And I love to be able to use the languages that I'm learning. Um, but that, I guess, in a way, I don't know. For me, I, I like the independent study. But that might just be me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also think the language community is really great. And I guess where I get it is online. You know, I do language exchanges. I study with teachers on italki. Mm -hmm. But I do have people here for some of the languages that I'm studying that I get to connect with. I have a few friends who speak Chinese, so I have that there. And other than that, I mean, there's the other languages, Italian, not so much. German, I do get to practice German, um, but the other languages, not really. Not Russian, not Croatian. I haven't met. I'm sure there's people here in California that speak those languages, but I haven't met them. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, what What I have experienced with uh, introverted students, entirely not my own experience, because I just I'm I'm miss waffle and 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 talk, and I am very extroverted in the sense that also like the. Um, The, the idea of speaking my thoughts and, you know, like the speak before you do anything else and speak from day one, um, whole philosophy thing to me always felt really like, yeah, no, I do that anyway. But, I, you know, the, the idea that somebody doesn't do that didn't occur to me naturally, but I noticed it with my students. And one way that I really found that my more introverted or the more introverted language learners that I have observed and worked with, um, something I really admire and um sort of um i i observed kind of as oh wow okay that's how they're doing it and that works for them and that's fascinating and i wonder i wonder if you're doing a similar thing if you recognize yourself in this which is the the idea that you you really work out what you're going to say in your head before you say it that might sound that um. might sound extremely obvious to you but i never do that I totally do that, and then it ends up coming out completely different anyways, <laughs> and then I end up hitting myself going, oh my goodness, Shannon, you should have done more preparation, but I mean, there's only so much preparation you can really do, and even when you prepare, things happen differently than you expect them to, and it's just something that you kind of have to learn to deal with and work around. I mean, if you really like studying languages, you can't let your personality or who you are get in the way to stop yourself from doing what you want to do so I mean you can't be a barrier for yourself and I actually think that language learning has helped me immensely you know kind of overcome some of my introverted tendencies and so and that's also helped me as a musician like I can actually tell you a story one of my musician coaches at one point told me that every single day I need to initiate a conversation with someone that I don't know. And as an introvert, that's terrifying. <laughs> and he told me that I could do something really simple, like just compliment them on their shirt or their watch and just not expect that the conversation is going to go anywhere past them saying thank you. And it was just to get me more comfortable talking to people. And so I kind of took that and applied it to language learning as well. And there was one time I was out shopping with my mom And while I was waiting for her in the dressing room, there was a family, two daughters and a mother in the dressing room next to us. And the mother was trying on a bunch of dresses. 
and she was walking out and asking the daughters what they thought about each of the dresses, but they're speaking Chinese. <laughs> and I was standing there and I felt horrible for eavesdropping. So I was like, I need to say something so they know that I'm understanding what they're saying and their conversation isn't as private as they think it is. And so she came out in one and in Chinese, I said, I think that one's really pretty. And their expressions and the way they reacted to <laughs> me, who was just kind of standing there in the corner speaking Chinese to them, was hilarious and i'm actually really good friends with the two girls oh, wow. that i'm <laughs> that i spoke to that day mm. so i mean you just never know what's going to happen and you never know who you're going to meet and so for me that's enough of an incentive to kind of come out of my shell and you know stretch what i'd normally be comfortable doing and also stretching beyond what you'd normally be comfortable doing is one of the greatest ways to improve at what you're doing so that is fantastic. That's really very, very impressive. So I like that you're combining the, yes, you're sort of perhaps more careful, more deliberate uh, personality or those kind of approaches to communication that you have perhaps by nature. I like that you're combining it with a good bit of risk taking there. Um, perhaps also, you know, I mean, looking at the, the kind of things you do and the kind of person you are, you do really you know, b between music and language, uh, obviously lots of connections, but one of the connections that I feel really fits with the topic of overcoming introversion and overcoming insecurities in a wider sense is that it helps you express yourself. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's a yeah. massive, massive thing. So how do you, when do you feel like you are best expressing yourself? When I'm prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um we always say in music that you have to practice something oh I don't even know how many times it is but it's a ton it's basically a ton of time that you need to spend doing something for it to actually come out when you're on stage mm -hmm. so and I feel the same way with language you know if you study for one hour and then you go out and expect to have a perfect conversation you know with all those phrases you just memorize in that hour it's just not going to happen yeah you may get be somewhat successful and you may have you know some semblance of what you intended as far as the conversation goes but you know the more time you put in the more prepared you're going to be so for me it's a lot about preparation and that is something that I took away from studying music and applied there's a lot of things actually that I found really useful from what I've learned as a musician and the training that I've gone through mm -hmm. from that that it's like hmm you know if I twist this just a little bit this is totally going to work for me for language learning as well. And in a way, it's kind of like a shortcut <laughs> because there's, you know, and it's not just music. I think that anything that you do, if you really spend the time to think about it, the things that you do that work for you in one thing, you only need to modify them slightly to make them work for you for language learning too. And if you have something for something else that is working for you and that is making you successful in that thing, why not take that information and apply it to language learning? Absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's so much from, you know, that there are practicals. I remember conversations with Gabriel Weiner, um, where we sort of talked about a very practical skill that, that being a musician, um, it's, I, I, I do, a, I do choir singing. So I, I, I have, I have learned how to listen. Um, and he obviously being an opera singer, And from you having studied music and being a singer and a, 
an instrumentalist is that what it's called a person who plays an yeah. instrument uh, yourself <laughs> see I was sounding smart then until two seconds ago <laughs> <laughs> um, is is this sort of ability to listen and not just listen to you know whatever you're listening to in a foreign language but also listening to yourself Mm, yeah, that actually, that's a really good point. One of the things that we're always told as music students is to record ourselves performing, to record our lessons, to record when we're practicing, to record our performances and go back and listen to them. Because when you're in the moment, you might miss things that you can improve upon. Mm -hmm. But when you go back and listen to it later and you're a little bit removed from the adrenaline of the situation, you're going to pick up on things that you're like, ah, that could be better. So then when you next go to study or practice or, you know, whatever you want to call it, you can focus on that thing. And the next time you go and do it, you're going to have that thing that's much better. And it's they're all little building blocks, you know. It's like you put your one brick here and your mm. next brick there. And then you just keep building up, you know. You can't lay like a whole chunk of blocks down at the same time. You have to do them one at a time. Absolutely. So... Something I read about you on your website, not no nobody else but um has, has sort of told no, no little birds have told me, but I, I read this and I thought this is fascinating and I want to ask you about this. And now's a good time to ask you about your um academic work and your academic I believe you've you wrote your dissertation about the connections between music and language learning. Um what did you find and, and can can do you know that do you know that um I don't know, it's an internet meme where people are asked to summarize the doctoral thesis in sort of 12 words. And they come out with things like, <laughs> nuclear weapons might save the world. Read the next 200 pages to not find out or something like that. <laughs> can you, sum up, can you that. sum up your dissertation in sort of 10 words for me? For me? Um, I did two dissertations, actually. Of um, course you did. Oh, my God, so hard To working. music and language. Um, the first one, the one that I think that you're referring to, I wrote about the use of the English language in music in non-English speaking countries. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And so that's my kind of 12 word summary. I don't know yeah. if that's actually 12 so words. So is it about but... the cultural dominance of English in, in the music in other countries? I wouldn't say it's a net, well, I guess in a way it's about the dominance, but it was more about how musicians um, that speak other languages, their music is only going to appeal to their local market or to markets that speak the same language mm -hmm. because the rest of the world is less interested in hearing music in other languages and the the largest part of the music market is English speaking, really. I think Japanese is like the second. But um, so what these artists are doing is they're opting to record songs in English to try and break into a more global market and so I took a look at why you know that was so important you know and I guess now because the world is a lot we more globalized than it was a couple decades ago success is a bigger scale now so it rather than it being enough to be successful in your country artists now want to be successful as like a global artist rather than just a local or national artist mm -hmm. no absolutely it, it it makes me think of uh the 80s german hit uh, 99 red balloons which isn't actually written or 
you know, it wasn't originally called 99 Red Balloons. It wasn't written as 99 Red Balloons. It wasn't in English. There's a German version. And then the lady wanted to break into the international market and, you know, become famous in America, etc. It's sort of the second market that you aim for. You know, once you've conquered your home and obviously the German-speaking market, that's that's not just Germany, Germany, Austria and Switzerland. But once you've... Once you're famous in those, I guess, where do you go next? And, you you know, she, she didn't record it in French. Could have done. And actually what's funny is I don't know if it exists in German, but I know in French there's actually even this thing called Chante en Yaourt, which is basically the French, they use, like, English-sounding sounds, and they sing songs so they're not actually real words. It's kind of like, have you seen that video where that that's uh, how English sounds to other people? Oh, God, and yeah, yeah. That's basically what it is, but music. People people do that a lot with German. <laughs> people sort of, you know. No, no, they do that. With basically, oh, oh well, oh, you're saying they do that with German. Well, there's a YouTube video of a guy that is supposedly German who is saying the German words, and they the it's a joke that they're meant to sound very aggressive, but really he's just shouting them. <laughs> so yeah, but it's you know it's it's enforcing stereotypes. But yeah, well, I want you you do wonder what does that do to to all those countries, and and it's it leads into the kind of general debate of English in the world. But um, to bring it back to a kind of maybe to take take that save that philosophy for another day of of how dominant <laughs> English is in the world. Um, it's interesting as well, culturally dominant and widely spoken still isn't quite the same thing in in this world but yeah i'll save that for another day <laughs> um because because we we've got a you know we've got some time to stick to um and i really really want you to tell me more about your your bilingual upbringing was it bilingual so are you a child of parents from two different countries and how did that come up and you lived in europe for some time so what's your story uh, it's kind of complicated. I actually was raised bilingual in a language I don't speak anymore. Um, wow, what's when that? I was growing up, Spanish. Okay. And my my husband is French, so we go back and forth all the time. And I did university in Europe, so that's why I I've always kind of gone back and forth. I did school in Europe, and so I was there, and then I was here, and then I was there, and then I was here, and then because we have family there. I was there as well. My grandparents are European, but mm -hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to meet most of them. My grandmother was German, but she grew up in France, so she spoke both of those languages. My grandfather was Irish, and another one of my grandfathers was Croatian. So there's, I grew up listening to stories about, you know, different languages and how my grandmother and grandfather couldn't speak to each other, but their relationship still worked. And... You know, wow. my father's first experience hearing his father speak Croatian because he didn't even know that his father spoke another language until he was 10 and that he had wished that his father had taught him that language. And so I had always heard these stories growing up. And I think, you know, having that history is, is part of what really interested me in languages. And so that's also a part of why I've kind of chosen the languages that I've chosen because of the connection to my heritage, you know, German and French and Croatian. So Lindsay and I were talking at, um, in episode 24 of the podcast about language as identity. Um, and I think the general, you know, it's sort of your, it leads it back to very nicely. See, it's almost like I planned it. Um, 
leads it back to I didn't plan it what Euro <laughs> Eurolinguist is about which is um, who you are what language means to you but not just language but just you know like who are you and you yourself are expressing yourself through this blog which is a very um, eclectic mix of different international uh, aspects of travel and then you've got food in there and then you've got a bit of music and things and and but there's also that aspect of discipline which I think comes from the musician and the student in you and that's so I, I really enjoy I really enjoy the blog and I really enjoy the mix um, and I think when you think about where you've come from that is I mean, do you, do, would you agree and would you, do you feel like Eurolinguist is an expression of a lot of facets of kind of yourself and your life? It feels that way reading it. Um, if I'm totally honest, I haven't put that much thought into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of what I do. I don't know. Um, you make it sound so much more interesting than it is in my head. <laughs> it's, I, I just really love the mix. I find it fascinating. I mean, this is, I, I, I just, in, when I started fluent, I just didn't, I so often think I'm not going to write about that particular thing. Like so if, you know, I've recently, um, with one of my students, I've covered, um, living costs in Germany and stuff like that. And with a different student, I've, we've done a lot of work on the Nibelungen, which is this big classical German epic, but I don't tend to write about it because I think, oh, well, fluent's for more than just German learners or our honeymoon trip report is sort of the first travel blogging I've really done um on on fluent um and i always think oh are people going to want to read that whereas you know it's, it's i express myself through fluent but i don't do it in a kind of like like what your language does so well that i think is i really admire and that's kind of why i want to know more about it and like oh okay so uh, like what's your secret <laughs> oh i don't think about it that okay <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but um what what really fascinates me is just the way that you know you you do follow your interests and it it makes it makes for such a wonderful mix and um I'm going to put this in the show notes as well just in, for for the interest of our listeners Shannon has written a guest blog post on fluent and it was all about french food and french cookery and we actually gave away a this big vocabulary list because she came up with these I don't know like a hundred words of you know french uh, cookery vocab and stuff like that and I, it's it's really fascinating so i i take i take your as an inspiration and and you know wouldn't normally write sort of something about my own welsh learning or the resources i use for learning welsh but it's it's nice to express yourself and it's it's you know it's i love that we're getting a piece of you which to you as an introvert now maybe i've made you think about it and that's probably a very bad thing <laughs> not at all <laughs> So I absolutely really, really enjoy that. Okay, so one question that I, of course, want to ask you is um, about your musical uh, kind of career and how you how you got into that and have you combined music and languages in a, in a kind of actually recording way yet? I have, actually. I... Did theater and I sang for a really long time. And when I was 11, I was given the option of continuing to do that or taking up an instrument. And um, I decided that I didn't want to sing anymore. So I told my parents I wanted to join the band. And they asked me what instrument I wanted to play. And mind you, I'm the only musician in my family. So 
my mom and I had this great debate. I said that I wanted to play what is called the trumpet, but I was convinced that the trumpet was called the flute. And my mom said, no, I'm pretty sure it's called the trumpet. And I, of course, was a preteen, so I knew better. And I said, no, it's called the flute. So I wrote it down on the form. I turned it in. I went to school the next week and they handed me a flute and I said, no, this is not what I wanted. I wanted that one over there. And they're like, well, that's called a trumpet. You already filled out your form. We rented the instruments. This is what you're going to play. So I started to play the flute. Excellent. Excellent. Good when choice. I got, yeah. <laughs> when I got into high school, I wanted to join the jazz bands um, because the music they played was far more exciting than what we were doing in band class. And so I went to my teacher. I said, I want to join the jazz band. He said, well, you can't play flute in the jazz band. You have to play saxophone or trumpet. So I said, yes, I can finally play the trumpet. So my parents and I went to the music store and my parents had rented my flute and it was a horrible experience. They ended up spending more money getting it repaired because it was used. So they said, we're not going to rent your trumpet this time. We're going to buy one because they're they're not t- really expensive when you get a student one. They're only a couple hundred of dollars. So, And the repairs for the flute that we had rented ended up being far more than that. So we went into the music store and they said, we want to buy our daughter a trumpet. And they said, well, unfortunately, we don't have any trumpets for sale in stock. You can rent one. My parents looked at me and said, Shannon, you're playing the saxophone. And I cried the whole ride home. (laughs) 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 So I started playing the saxophone. And when I was about 16, I actually started to perform professionally at local clubs that did live music. And when I was 17, I said, all right, I'm done doing music. I'm going to record an album to mark the end of my career as a musician, and then I'm going to go to college and be a marine biologist. Of course you are. So, (laughs) yeah, um, I recorded an album with my friends in the basement of our high school, which had a recording studio. We did the whole album in four hours, two hours across two days. Um, I had it manufactured. I sold it. I went to college, got a scholarship for music, and switched my major from marine biology to music, and continued to pursue music so that's kind of my story with that and where language came into that is around my fifth album I decided no maybe it was my fourth I would decided I wanted to sing again so I kind of came full circle and because I spoke multiple languages I was like mm, I'm not gonna write songs just in English I'm gonna write songs in French so I recorded two songs in French on my vocal album and So that's kind of how I tied the two in. But the music industry, because it's global, you kind of meet musicians from all over the world. Every year there's this big convention near where I live. And so companies from China come, companies from all over Europe come. And it's a really great opportunity for me to practice my languages every year at this event. But it's also music. So I kind of get to do the two together and it's wonderful. Mm, And I think singing... Do do you sing and write songs or do you write sing cover versions, say, then in French? Um, I've written two songs in French. Wow. Um, I've covered other ones as well. And so I, I write I both in French and in English. I do not think that I'd ever be able to do it well enough in another language without help. But those are the two that I write in. Mm-hmm. And I think... The, the one thing that really stands out to me about this whole thing that I just want to highlight and you don't have to comment back on it because um, it's it's similar. But what, what I really find, and it's again, it's kind of like 
what attracts me personally as a reader about Eurolinguist um, kind of comes out as well the way you speak about your um, the, the path that you have taken so far with sort of you know doing music and there's a real I mean there's like a desire for self-expression but also you don't seem to shy away from opportunities when they come so you know if you're going to play the saxophone I'll play the saxophone then you know and you know you I really think that is such a useful trait as a, a language learner to kind of recognize and take an opportunity when it is presented to you um, and to almost like accept this this gift. Um, even if the gift is just, um, I have bought myself, teach yourself French at the store. Um, that That is still kind of a, a gift that you've done to, a gift that you have given to yourself um and in your wider sense you know does that self-expression that confidence to go with um the foreign languages the music and then saying oh i'm going to be a marine biologist oh no hang on i'm not going to be a marine <laughs> biologist i'm going to be a musician because that's who i am um as well and to embrace those facets of yourself i i love that i think that is wonderful and it makes me extremely excited about you even though i'm i I have a small confession tiny um i hate jazz music but <laughs> well i don't really do jazz jazz like not john coltrane jazz i actually do more contemporary jazz which is basically in uh pop music done instrumentally and that and so. that is a lot nicer than, than the <laughs> but i also jazz, do pop but, you, know, you, you don't play music for me you don't play music for you Yeah, well, every music has its own audience, but I've also done pop. I've played with 10,000 Maniacs. I went on tour with them one summer while I was in college. Uh-huh. They're an Irish group. Uh, no, they're not Irish. I th she's English or she's American. I don't know. But the singer that was with the group at the time was Irish. And then I played with uh, the guitarist from Jefferson Starship and also the guitarist who played with Al Stewart. So it's kind of – and I've played with um, Mo. Or Moo, I can't remember. She's from Denmark, I believe, and she's a indie pop singer. So there's lots of opportunities to kind of expand beyond my genre. And so I don't just do jazz, but my music that I personally release is smooth is what we call smooth jazz or adult contemporary or contemporary something now. They keep changing the name of the genre. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just take the jazz bit out. Just call it smooth music. <laughs> <laughs> instrumental pop yeah there's a, there's a radio station in Britain called Smooth Radio you know mm. I don't know what they play but smooth music <laughs> I suppose <laughs> this reminds me of a, a fantastic Welsh word so here's a, here's a pointless piece of knowledge um, great well do you know what the Welsh word for ironing is it's smoothio smoothio that's actually interesting so i guess it's kind of what you're doing yeah it's, it's what you do isn't that amazing i I think it's amazing sometimes welsh has <laughs> these these great english loan words uh that just kind of come in and you're like this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it makes me very excited um that's actually one of the things that i absolutely love about chinese mm -hmm. is when you because the characters they're made up of all these different components and i absolutely love breaking up the components and being like ha 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 the word for like to wear clothing is a cave above a tooth it doesn't make any sense but it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm strange i'm sorry oh it could be a little hat right yeah no okay okay on a okay okay but as we have learned with um you know or, or um 
certainly you know when I did the vocab cookbook I was really looking at memorizing and the ideas of storytelling in in memory um and something like that the connections you can draw from that and the the kind of different way that everybody tells themselves a different little story I think that's really fascinating and it's really really effective you know so if it's a cave above a tooth for you that you know if if that works it is super effective because I'm never going to forget the character for to wear. Yeah. And when I actually spend the time to break apart the characters and I, it, it's actually when I break apart the characters and it's not that interesting, um, I'm less likely to remember the word. But if I break apart the characters and I think it's funny, <laughs> I, I don't forget the word because I'm like, ha ha ha. And then I go and I tell someone, look at this is funny. And they're like, okay, Shannon, go back to your corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very much an individual thing. It's got to work for you, and and I think like you know with memorize the whole thing where there's like uh, what do they call them the mems, mems. Yeah, you know when you look at someone else's, it might not work for you, but if you spend the time to create your own, it's going to be far more effective. Mm. That's not saying that someone else's might not work for you, but it's just yeah for me that it works, and it, I remember because I thought it was hilarious, and it stuck with me. I've had but. I've I've seen several memes that other people made that really worked, and then as sometimes you see some yeah where you go, what? That, I, okay. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it. You've <laughs> got to make your own. Um, but it does it does work sometimes in the same way that um, mnemonics work sometimes, or just you know the whole I before E except after C. Um, yeah, and, you know things. Thirty days have September, April, June, and November. That's right. All those little kind of um, in German they're called donkey bridges, Eselsbrücken. Uh, they work, be- and they work for a reason. It's partly because many people use them, and they many people use them because they make sense. So it, mm. it's not entirely. Sometimes things capture the in- imagination of many people, but sometimes you you got to go with what's personal to you. Yeah, very much. So one more question before we move on to tips of the week, which uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that tips of the week is coming, and I have some for you. Yes. Um, um, are you excited? I'm excited. Yay! I'm I'm like I'm gonna rush through the next question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's a quick one. Uh, do you have out of all of your languages that you did you obviously you're at different levels and different sort of um, uh, levels of expertise with your languages: Chinese, Russian, Italian, German, Croatian, French, and English. I hope I haven't forgotten one. Out of those seven languages, do you have a favorite, or do you have one the that makes you excited? The next one after. Sorry. The next one after. <laughs> the shiny new one. The shiny new one, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, that's a hard question. And to be honest, it changes. Because mm-hmm. one day I'll be like, I really hate Chinese right now. Or then the next day I'll be like, I really love Chinese right now. And it happens. I go through cycles, you know, because you get frustrated. And so that's why I like having so many because... You know, when I need a break from Chinese because my head is going to explode, I can go and study Russian for a little bit. And then I get into cases and I'm like, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go study Italian. Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, or German with the neuter gender, which Croatian and Russian also have. But for me, German, it's a lot harder to tell which gender everything is and so when I get frustrated with that then I can go and read a book in French so you know that's kind of why I like speaking so many is for the variety and it keeps me engaged with language I don't burn out because instead of just quitting studying language altogether I can just switch languages and then I get inspired to study Chinese again um 
so I, I don't really have a favorite. I actually, when I started Chinese, it was a language that I thought because I figured it would be useful. And I was coming at it from having studied Croatian, which was a totally indulgent language for me um, because not a whole lot of people speak it, at least not that I have the opportunity to speak with. So I said, I'm just going to do something completely different and pick a language that will be super useful, which is never a good strategy because if you don't fall in love with the language, you're not going to stick with it. But thankfully, I ended up falling in love with the language. And so I love studying Chinese. I love breaking apart the characters, even though sometimes I get frustrated that it's very difficult to read. But, um, you know, I've just fell in love with learning Chinese. And so overall right now, that's my favorite, but tomorrow it might be something different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I think there's something that there's, a, I just want to highlight a beautiful, beautiful word that you said, uh, describing Croatian as your indulgent language. I think that's really pretty and really lovely. Um, to kind of think of it that way. So again, is that sort of you 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 know you kind you're doing yourself a kindness by following your interest into in in Croatian. In the same yeah you sorry go ahead you really need oh sorry you really need to study a language because you want to study it mm -hmm. you know if you're just I mean I understand that sometimes people need to learn languages because their job requires it but if you really want to succeed learning a language you have to want to learn it and I was afraid that I wasn't going to stick with Chinese um, but because I fell in love with it it worked out for me German and Italian I loved when I started them and then I got frustrated as I got more advanced with German because the grammar is somewhat difficult and I'm sure I'll fall in love with it at some point again in the future but right now part of the reason that I'm not active with it is because I'm not as madly in love with it as I was when I started But I'm sure once I spend time with it, that'll come back. Mm -hmm. I'll start to remember all the things that I had loved about it when I had first started learning it. But you have to enjoy what you're doing because if you're miserable every time you sit down to study, you're not going to want to study. And then you're not going to progress. And then you're going to get frustrated that you're not progressing. And then you're going to quit. So you, if language is hard, you have to spend a lot of time doing it. And you have to enjoy at least some of that process. Otherwise, you're not going to be motivated to go and do it. Yeah. And otherwise, it's not an indulgence anymore either. That's Because true. it is, you know, it, this is time that you spend, you know, partly on developing yourself, but partly on following the sort of interest of yourself. Whereas, yes, if somebody studies, um, say, if I want to, um, you know, get a job in Sweden, uh, perhaps I can get by with just English, but I'll very quickly have to pick up Swedish just because I have to. Um, and th then it, maybe it's less about the love of the language, but I think you can fall in love with the result as well and the, the being understood and the understanding and those sort of kind of success experiences that make you feel very good. They, they bring in a, a positive feeling. Absolutely. That was actually what worked for me with Chinese when I first started studying it. And Uh, we'd watch a movie and there'd be some Chinese character somewhere and I'd be like, that one means this and that one means this. And it was like so exciting because when I first started and I looked at Chinese texts, it was like this block of mm -hmm. unintelligible text and it was terrifying. And then when I eventually started to be able to pick out words, it's like, hey, I when I started, I was like, I'm never going to be able to distinguish any of these characters because some of them are really similar and I still have trouble distinguishing ones that are very close. But when I started to be able to pick characters out, which I never thought I'd be able to do, it's like, you know what? I might actually be able to do this. And it's those little successes along the way that make you feel like the time you're spending is worth it 
and then that make you want to spend more time doing it. Mm-hmm. True, true. Where sometimes it's the, it's the, oh, this is so cool. These words do this. Let me find out more about these words. And then sometimes it's the, I understand something result. And then sometimes <laughs> it's the, my boss is impressed at work or, you know, I, I just, got through this job interview or I got this result in this language test there's so many success experiences that languages can bring okay so I'm going to move on to the tips of the week there's no jingle I'm just singing it badly um (laughs) the tips of the week Gloria um which the, the the principle of this, if you if you've never listened to the podcast before and you've stumbled into it and you're still with us after an hour of um, wonderful conversation, congratulations! Here's how tips of the week works. I've got three tips of the week that I have researched. They're all different ways uh, that you can uh, practice foreign language learning, different uh, d- approaches that you can take to language learning. And Shannon, as the guest, has the honourable honour uh, the, the honour of Picking one of the three tips. Okay, here are my three tips of the week. Number one, and this is very topical, I guess, for for you in particular, uh, join a choir. Choirs have got two big benefits. Number one is you start training yourself in how you listen to yourself and how you listen to other people. And you will very, very quickly realize when you are out of sync with everybody else and it teaches you a level of listening discipline and expressing yourself discipline that you can carry straight on into your language learning adventure and benefit number two is lots of especially classical choirs sing in foreign languages you get a special boost out of it number two use mind maps for learning a new language mind maps are a way of noting down your thought it's sort of um system for noting down your thoughts with lots of doodles and connections you can really draw connections between the different things that come into your mind it's a great way of brainstorming and it can be a great great way of opening up fields of vocabulary and topical vocabulary for yourself for example if you specifically want to cover vocabulary um, about say talking to your language exchange partner about the political situation in your country or where you went to school you may want to prep all the different school vocabulary and a mind map might be just what you need in order to help yourself out and number three use transliteration to master foreign writing systems transliteration is when you basically write down what the foreign language systems the the sounds it tells you to do so for example you've got the pinyin transliteration system which makes the Chinese sounds into the well which sounds out the Chinese sounds in the Latin alphabet maybe Shannon can Shannon does that make sense yes okay good 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 so um that's tip number three use transliteration because it's a way of making sense of the foreign writing systems if you haven't been able to do that so number two join a choir number two uh, number one join a choir choir number two use mind maps and number three use transliteration shannon what do you think all right i'm going to eliminate mind maps first Mm -hmm. because um they've never really worked for me they end up being this big sketched out blob for me and I don't understand what I meant later on I'm more of a charts and graphs sort of person so very organized um so that one I'm going to eliminate the choir 
that's really great if you enjoy singing. Some people don't, so that might not be the best option for everyone. So I'm going to go with transliteration, but with a catch. Okay. Only at the beginning. Only as long as you need it. So uh, for Russian, I skipped that entirely. I dove straight in, memorized the alphabet, and then started to learn the language. Chinese, I still rely on transliteris- trans- transliteration um, because with certain characters, they're just... Unless you know the character, you don't know the character. So you need to include the pinion so that you know what the word is. Um, so I'm going to go with transliteration because for Chinese, it's been immensely helpful. And I've slowly started to eliminate it. But I mean, I'm a year into the language and I still need it on occasion. So I think it be it can be incredibly useful, especially when you're learning a new writing system. Mm-hmm. And I look so... I'm going to go with that too. Fantastic. Transliteration it is. Uh, one thing I can I can perhaps add is if you are learning a language such as German or Welsh um, or German or German, um, where, where the word order can be very confusing, um, it might help to actually do use transliteration in the sense of literal translation um, and writing the sentence sound in English. So if you say, does Beyonce play guitar in English, you might, in German, you would say, uh, play Beyonce the guitar. Um, and sometimes I have found that that kind of, again, that kind of, okay, taking the foreign and making it into something familiar, but leaving enough of the foreign in just opens it up to you. So you can even do this with foreign grammar if you haven't got oh, yeah. a foreign writing system to master. I've actually read in quite a few resources that it's really important to do that with Chinese at the beginning when you begin learning grammar because the sentence structure can be so different that if you just practice writing sentences in English using the proper structure, it'll actually help you better internalize it than if you're just going at it with only Chinese. Because if you add an element of the familiar into something unfamiliar, it's a lot easier for you to grasp the information that you're taking in. Mm-hmm. I very much agree with that. That's, that. That is a very concise and well-expressed reason why I don't think immersion is the answer to everything, <laughs> which it's exactly that. If you throw yourself into something completely unfamiliar, you miss out on making all those wonderful connections that you can be making and are actually really helpful. Okay, Yeah. so tip of the week, transliteration. Um, First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and for being on the podcast, Shannon. Uh, keep keep writing that blog. Keep putting all those amazing uh, things out there in a different variety. And I really find you a very inspiring, uh, I find your approach to blogging and your approach to what you do very, very inspiring. Just how, you know, going out there and saying, yeah, I'm a language learner, but I'm also a musician and maybe I know a bit of marine biology. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> um, and it's something that really, really inspires me. So... And as a as a consequence of that, of course, you've you've got more than one website, right? I do. I have way too many. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your websites. Okay. Um. Well, as you mentioned before, my language website is eurolinguist.com. E u r o l i n g u i s t e dot com, and so that's where you can find all of my travel, cooking, language, and so on information. My music website is Shannon dash like the minus sign Kennedy.com and there you can find videos of me performing where I'll be performing and my albums and things like that. And I also run a community for up and coming musicians called teen T-E-E-N jazz.com. 
Fantastic. So it's shannon-kennedy.com, teenjazz.com, and eurolinguist, with an E at the end, dot com. Uh, yes. Shannon, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview just as much as I enjoyed interviewing Shannon. Isn't she sweet? Oh, I thought it was really, really interesting. Such an eclectic lady. So much to offer the world. Go head over to euronlanguist.com or just check the show notes where the link is for Shannon's blog, for Shannon's music website, for all these different projects that she's got going on. Really, really excellent lady. And as you do that, before you do that, I urge you to check out the show notes and just make sure you come to our podcast survey. Take just two minutes to answer a few questions. We're so, so grateful to you if you're going to do this. And out of all entrants who leave us their email address, I'm also going to give away a special language consultation worth $99. So it's really worth just taking a tiny little time. All you have to do is go to fluentlanguage.co.uk slash survey. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. -M -M -E 